listening to March Madman, the quest to find the greatest horror film of all time. Season one of our show is focusing on haunted house movies. And our tournament is set up like a macabre imitation of the NCAA basketball tournament. We've got 32 films. We're pairing them up. Battles of two films at a time. One film emerges. Bracket to bracket. A series of grudge matches will determine which haunted house movie comes out on top. And now uh, we are to the most interesting part of our initial pairings because these films are basically coin tosses everybody it's 50 50 evenly matched films this is going to get really interesting as we close the curtain on round one and i just without further ado i got to introduce my co-hosts of course vic wheat and rich eckersley guys i hope you are ready for what promises to be a no-holds-barred, bare-knuckle death match. Rich, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good. I gotta say, as we got closer to doing this, I found myself getting excited to get back together with you nerds and finish out this first round of 32. I am, you know, I look forward to doing this podcast the way that I imagine a seven-year-old girl looks forward to hosting a tea party for the violent and demonic imaginary friend living in her room. Which, these movies is quite a lot. Yeah, that's about three quarters of the movies have the tea party with the demonic entity. So, yeah, we've all learned to relate. (laughs) And, uh, Vic, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm uh, I'm disturbed, John, because I, over over the course of my preparation for this, I discovered that I really... Uh, after uh, over two months in, in quarantine, I'm starting to look a lot like James Brolin in the Amityville Horror, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shave. That's the that's really that's the big thing that I took away from this is it seems like it seems like I should shave. I need to put a little more distance between me and uh, and that actor and that character. Are you are you writing a check for caterers at this point? Is that is what you're doing? <laughs> and uh, compulsively feeding the fire, bitching about how cold it is all the time. I, I actually I don't have a fireplace yet. I have been chopping a great deal of firewood. We also don't have a lot of trees, so the the furniture is getting a little spare, but, uh, you know, it's all right. Uh, I cannot wait, gentlemen, spoiler alert, to talk about Amityville. Um, let's put it that way. It is so bad. It's so good. Uh, it's what this podcast is made for. But uh, let's kick it off with a good movie. I, th- I hope we can all agree uh, on that. And uh, I'm talking about our number 14 seed, which in retrospect... It feels kind of insulting, but I'd only seen it once. And we're talking about The Pact, which is the 2012 film written and directed by Nicholas McCarthy, starring Katie Lotz, Lotz, uh, household name. Yeah, we all know her, which is, you know, I'm damning with faint praise because she's quite good, but not, not as familiar a name as Casper Van Dien. Who You're is, damn right, baby. Yep, yep, yep our nominal co-lead here. And apparently uh, this was based on a Sundance short, which made a stir, which is often the case with horror films. 
And it's about a woman whose mother has recently died in the Los Angeles County area. And her sister then uh, disappears soon thereafter, as well as uh, her cousin, (laughs) which is kind of a interesting chain of events. But is this a ghost that's making these things happen? Something else? It's an extremely intricate mystery. And uh, the way it plays out, I think, surprises the viewer. Let's put it that way. So that's our our first topic of the evening. Uh, And we're, of course, as is our want with this round of the competition, we're going to go around the horn and go through our scorecards uh, category by category. And I think, uh, yeah, as we did last time, let's uh, alternate. But starting with overall quality, Rich, what's your overall quality grade for the Pact? Giving the Pact a B plus. This was definitely a very tense, mysterious film. It reminded me a touch of like a slightly less paranormal uh, version of the like a House of Leaves. If, if anyone's familiar with with that story, oh yeah, oh more grounded. The the pacing of it, especially Act Three, just to throw out another reference. If anyone's has seen Black Summer on Netflix, there's something about it that that reminded me of it. I think it's that the movie did very well with nonverbal stretches of storytelling and really eking a lot out of it. It had a very unique quality to it that I enjoyed. I, I will say that I knocked a few points off of like it has a touch of of like you said, it, it came from Sundance. It feels like a movie that came from Sundance. It does feel low budget at times. You can kind of feel the trappings of the indie universe, but those are some small knocks on what's a pretty refreshing and surprising story. I just remember, uh, Rich, when we first talked about this show on uh, this film on the nominating show, you mentioned that you felt the the budget seemed low or that was kind of one of the the criticisms that you might have had. Did you still feel that way watching it again? No, I feel a lot different about this movie this time. I am not sure if I was very tired the first time I watched it, but I will completely rescind my whatever review I gave on the first show. I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I did the time that I watched it at Vic's birthday. I don't know what that says about Vic or his birthday, but it's you were, a, it's a you glum were, affair. You were tired. You were tired, Rich. That's for sure. I, yeah, I'm sure I was very sleepy, probably <laughs> at the coffee table somewhere. Yeah. I didn't, I think I missed a lot of what made this movie special. I did catch the big twist the first time I saw it, so I knew that that was coming. But the overall quality of the film and the horror elements of it were more present than I remembered. I remembered it being a much smaller, more uh, practically explained movie. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that, um, given that if you really – studied it outside of the sort of social uh, environment that it, it might hold up well. So good, good. Vic, uh, did you, what's your relationship with this movie first? And, and then where did you grade it for overall quality? I watched this for the first time uh, after a, a long day of drinking and cooking at my birthday. And we somehow, Rich, I don't know if you remember this. We finished The Loved Ones, the Australian horror film, after we finished, after we watched The Pact. Get Out. Uh, so, yeah, which, you no, know, Get Out hadn't come out yet. But it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a, I, it's one of my most 
fondly remembered nights in terms of there were these two movies that I really wanted to watch. They're really sort of similar in terms of budget and scope and being independent. And I just was in that delightful chemical buzz haze uh, to take in something like this and, and really appreciate it at the time. So I always had these, this just this really fond, glowing memory of it. And I was, like you, sort of pleasantly surprised to watch it again and find that that was not just the uh, drugs and alcohol talking, uh, that, that this really is a, a quality movie with some quality scares, a lot of really interesting things going on in it. And... In particular, well, I'll save it for the script. There's a, there's a couple things I want to talk about. This is going to be a hard one to talk about in too much depth. But I think this is a, a definitely above average and maybe bordering on exceptional for a haunted house film. I hope I gave it a B. I gave, I gave it a, I gave it a B plus. Good, good. I was going to ask. I was going to ask. But yeah, I hope everyone listening knows because uh, you've listened to previous episodes. Uh, But yeah, this is a a no-spoiler section of the season, so you don't have to worry about that. But okay, so B-plus from Vic. I'm giving it an A. I will say that I was really impressed seeing this the second time. I know I liked it the first time. I didn't watch it at a party or any, you know, sort of mitigating circumstance like that. But, you know, my memories weren't that sharp, and... Maybe just in the in the context of this exercise, where we're watching all of these haunted house movies, this felt like a breath of fresh air to me. Uh, that just the game it's playing and the way it does it, even though there are you know tropes that are consistent with these films. Weirdly, I don't know if you guys like let me know if this resonates with you. This movie felt to me closer to Lake Mungo than almost any of the other films. Does that hit you out of left field, or does that feel somewhat right? That feels pretty much on par to me. And again, interesting just in that I drew the comparison to The Loved Ones just by virtue of having watched that before, which was also an independent Australian Mm -hmm. horror film. Yeah. So There's a putting together of clues in this film that I think somewhat mirrors like Mungo, but you know, this is a more traditional horror film. In terms of story, I see where you're coming from. In terms of style, there are elements and I agree that they definitely seem of the same era. This one is pretty aggressive with its scares when they do come up though. Right. Yeah, this this is a much more traditional uh tension set piece, you know, kills and this is a classical horror film but it has it takes certain elements i think that feel different from your average both haunted house film and you know you know quasi technological aspects that i liked so originality would be next and i'll kick it off i've I've said before while i tend to be very hard on these movies in these categories i'm a soft touch with originality because I just want to be given something that doesn't look like the other movies in the field. And so by that litmus test, I'm giving this an A for originality because no spoilers, but I think there's a confluence of different subgenres of horror going on here. 
and I love the combo. So I think that, and this movie just overall and the way it plays out, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it avoids, you know, really hoary old cliches of haunted house stuff. I, I can't give it less than an A and I defy you guys to disagree with me. Starting with you, Rich. <laughs> I gave it an A minus very similar feelings about it. I agree with everything you said. The only thing that maybe isn't that original about it is that it does let you know what it is from the start. It's going to be slow. It's going to be very single character driven, but the twists and turns are uncommon and unforeseen and they keep them coming throughout the whole movie. So a strong originality rating on this one. I gave it an A as well. Like we've talked about with so many of these films, what I find really interesting about this is that they're, they're telling Nicholas McCarthy's telling two parallel stories that keep overlapping and informing each other. And you think you're watching one type, you're actually watching a combination of both. And even more so than, again, something like Below, maybe even more than Lake Mungo, which has the documentary aspect, I feel like the way that these two stories interact with each other and play off of each other the surprises that come because of the way that it's being told, it really feels like one of the more interesting ways of melding a haunted house movie with another kind of movie that pays off in a, in a, a really original way. So it's it, taken individually. This, these stories are not, they're not the most original, but the way that they're woven together really comes up with something that feels new and fresh. Exactly. It's the intersection that makes it special. But I would even say, just from an execution perspective, this movie feels like its own thing. You know, the place, the characters, the set design. Um, I, I give it points for that as well. Um, it's not sure. like they're just taking totally cliche shit and, and sticking them together, uh, if that makes any sense. Now, the house alone is is unlike any other haunted house. Yeah. And Vic, I'm glad you brought that up because the exact thing that you're describing, the thing that makes the story compelling, the fact that it layers these two stories on top of each other, one that's that's maybe a little more paranormal than the other, is the thing that messed up my memory of this film. But it's the same thing that made it really compelling this time. So I thought that was a really astute point. It has a very clever script and, and storytelling device as well as style. You're, you're right, too, John. Well, we'll get to script uh, momentarily uh, or in a half an hour, depending on how long it takes us to get through these categories. But, yes, I, I agree with those those statements. I think we're, we're po- mostly on the same page here. But let's get into chill factor, which, is, of course, is our measure of, of the scares that a movie uh, has to offer. And a lot of these haunted house films are a little underpowered in this department. Uh, in my opinion, but I'm giving this one a B plus and I'm somewhat grading on a curve, but I find this genuinely unnerving and there's some, yeah, just discomforting moments throughout it that, that we balance, not, not necessarily jump scares, but moments of shock for sure. And, and more eerie, eerie things that are happening in the back of frames and stuff like that in the background. And uh, as, as you gl- slowly start to realize what might be happening in this house, 
it, it becomes a very unsafe place for the characters to be in and also for the viewer. So I, I think that it's not uh, outrageous to give it a B plus, And so that's, that's where I'm at with it. Vic, let's throw it to you first on this one. What's your chill factor grade for the pact? Exactly the same, John. And I'm, I'm, I'm having to save up all of my superlatives for you. Yeah. It's, uh, this is a, a really creepy film. I think I was a little underwhelmed by what the, the frequent presence of dream sequences, which uh, I feel like you can get away with one. You kind of can't get away with two. That's about the only knock. This is a, this is a really creepy film. And what Rich, what you said about the house is spot on. It's a, even in terms of the suburban houses in that, that we've come across in this genre there, I, there is just a, a vibe in the lighting, in the production design. It somehow seems. Are there any other single-story haunted houses that we've <laughs> that no. we've dealt with? <laughs> like, no. that's it, one of the. I'd say yeah. the, the the most proximate uh, house would be the one from Under the Shadow. Yes, which was an apartment. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, yeah I, the actual unit was one one level, but yeah, the whole building was not obviously. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's yeah. The, so yeah, just the production design, the lighting. There was a there was something about that place that that was just unnerving from just from kind of the minute you set foot in there. So uh, yeah, I found it. I found it very very uh, very scary. Icky. It was icky. It was icky. an icky house. I just love that it's in like San Pedro or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it it has this grungy L.A. County, maybe Orange County kind of vibe, and the the house, the fact that it's Christmas. I mean, if we had a art direction grade, I think this this movie would would be gaining ground on its competitors because yeah, the way that this place is designed is perfect because it doesn't go over the top. It doesn't feel overly Gothic, overly stylized, um, like cluttered with props that are clearly there for, for mood. It really does feel like people live there and yet it's powerfully disturbing. It's a perfect balance. Yeah, I think that I, I, we all agree that that actually really contributes to the shell factor. So let's talk about badass baddies. Of course, this is the antagonist category. And I'm going to give it a B plus there. And this is a very spoiler sensitive topic in this particular film. But I will say that this movie has a very real and visceral threat, which is often not the case in haunted house films. But there's also a tremendous amount of slow build and mystery and atmosphere and setup for that. So it's, I think it has, it's a great combination of haunted house films where you're piecing together what are we dealing with and is this a demon, is this a ghost, is it, what is it exactly? So we have that dynamic going on. It's not immediately announced what, what the antagonist the opposition is going to be but does it have teeth is it lethal is the next question and that is definitely the case in this movie i mean this is a 
a life and death situation for anyone who goes into this house. So, you know, if anything, I feel like my B plus might be low, but it's, it's just simply that it's, uh, yeah, I can't say why I would take it off a point right now without going into spoilers, but B plus is a great grade. So I'll leave it at that. Rich, what's your, what's your grade? B plus for the baddies. I also, I didn't get to get to give a letter grade for chill factor. I just want to throw out that. Oh, I'm I did, sorry. That's okay. I did give it an A going a little bit higher than you guys. I did feel like the main baddie when they make an appearance is really a breathtaking reveal that uh, more than makes up for any absence of menace earlier than the film. The baddies in this movie, some of them may be ghosts. Some of them may not be. Both are very creepy and they all accomplish it without having the classic gaping mouth and white eyes of the grave encounters and Ouija origin of evil. That's a really good point. Background. They are very almost plain and somehow more effective for it. And I'm with you that this is a tough category to get through without a spoiler, so I'll leave it at that. B-plus for antagonists, A for chill factor. Vic, I want to hear what you want to say, but I think it's worth pointing out that uh, very little bad CGI in this movie. Let's put it that way. And that's very much to its credit. Yes. Uh, so I, I mean, essentially, I know I already gave my chill factor. I have the, the inverse of which I have a, a B-plus for chill factor. I gave the antagonist an A, and it's just something... I guess I hope we have the chance to talk about in the future because I have lots of thoughts and feelings, but I think we should I think we should save it and we'll just have to see how this how this particular round shakes out. Quality of kills is next then. I'll go last this time just to you know keep it interesting. Dick, why don't you keep us rolling here? What's your quality of kills grade? Quality of kills, I really went. Uh, C plus. This is not a movie with it. Well, I suppose it's misleading to say this is a movie without a huge body count. There is definitely life and death stakes in it, but a lot of it happens off screen. And what happens on screen is fine, but it's not noteworthy. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Rich, what do you think? I gave this one a B. There's one kill that really stands out in my memory, and it was quick, simple, visceral, made an impact on me, and I was glad to see the guy go. <laughs> All right. Uh, I gave it a B as well. Um, yeah, this is definitely not a you know loving, perverse tribute to the art of murder kind of a film, but I, I, I think that there's... Um, enough disturbingness and shock value that it, it's it's above the par for usual uh, haunted house fare. So that takes us to the directing category. Rich, what's your directing grade? I gave this an A. This is a very well-directed film. This reads like a character study and attention-building exercise, at least especially for the first half of it. The use of music throughout this film is very interesting and effective. It is very spare, but when it shows up, it's extremely potent. There are several scenes 
I'm thinking in particular of the scene where the protagonist tracks down the, the girl who will become the medium in this film, where it's a three to five minute scene that is nothing but blaring, driving music yeah. that goes on for the entirety of it and, and until it like cuts off abruptly at the, at the end of the scene. He uses this technique several times throughout, and I found it very effective and unnerving. The effects are good. They occasionally remind me uh, there was a bullet time effect that they use at one point that I both thought was cool and also reminded me of Sucker Punch. <laughs> the, the effects had a touch of Zack Snyder to it on occasion, but I still thought that they were used in an effective way. Excellent work from this guy. I'm curious to see what else he's done. I haven't seen any of his other films. I just want to note here at this juncture and directing has a lot to do with it. This is one of the few movies in this field that I think I, I really do kind of love. And I, I, I hope we do vote, vote it forward and get to get to delve deeper into it because I believe the movie deserves that. I'm giving it an A as well for directing. I love the way the camera moves in this film. I, I think the way what he does with the actors and the storytelling, both visually and from a narrative perspective, it's all so under control. Nothing feels random or tangential or thrown together or sloppy. This is a magnificently put-together film. It's a filmmaker's film. I'm giving it an A for that. Vic? I give it a B plus. Oh, you son of a bitch. Everybody take a drink. <laughs> um, I think it's, it, is, it is a very well-directed film, and yeah, I don't, it's, I, I, we talked about grading on a curve. I gave the, uh, I gave the shining an A. So he's not Stanley Kubrick. It's really, really good. Well, I'm going B plus. Interesting. Vic, I just, yeah. Vic, I, I want to say that you, you ruined your fucking scale when Stanley Kubrick doesn't get an A plus because who's going to beat that? Who's going to beat that? I mean, Orson Welles, if he was still alive. All right. So by 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 your directing scale, B plus is awesome. Okay. Thank you. Kur- Duly noted. <laughs> Kurosawa. He could be. He could be Kubrick. I think if he made a horror film. I would. Um, love, I would love to see that. Wouldn't Wouldn't we all? Rich, I do just want to note though. I mean, it's interesting because I know exactly what you're talking about with the music, and yet my memory of this film is of it being a very quiet movie, and I think that that's because there's this baseline of silence that you don't usually get in these kinds of horror movies of the score that's in there. Just, I'd have to watch it again to get a better sense of it. But that's my, my thought. Like the vision I have it of in my head is of this movie containing these long stretches of silence. And I think that makes the music stand out all the more when he finally jumps on it. I think the music is great, but there's also a lot of like low subtle music or silence exactly yeah it's a great balance all right well that takes us to script vic why don't you keep it going with your grade for script script i gave a a b plus i think there's a there's a lot of very strong stuff in here there's a there's some stuff that i was some of the subtle character stuff i was a little less enamored with in particular, I'm thinking of Casper Van Dien uh, giving ice cream to the the protagonist at the at the police station, 
and some of that stuff just didn't didn't. I mean, it's it's fine. Again, it's not a knock, but it's just those are there's a few moments that felt maybe a little forced, quirky, or like, hey, let's give this guy a thing, and those things sort of stand out to me a little bit. But on the on the overall perspective, like we've talked about, the way that the tax that they take on the story and the way that they weave them together and the conclusion that they arrive at are exceptional. So it's a very strong script. Rich? I had a hard time determining whether or not my problem, and these were small, but my problems with the movie were based on script or based on acting. And so I'm splitting the difference a bit. B minus for script there were some clunky lines throughout definitely people stating things that were part of their internal monologue that suddenly were being said out loud. Casper Van Dien, I know this is an acting note. I'll, I can get into it then, but like he's almost unforgivable in this movie to me. Like, Rich, he, I will not stand here, sit here <laughs> and listen to you besmirch the great Casper Van. I'm kidding. He virtually sinks this movie. And again, I know this, Category. He's pretty terrible. He's pretty terrible, and like to the to the point where I really couldn't tell is he this bad or is the script just bad. That aside, I will say uh, a few things I liked. One, I did enjoy their interpretation of the medium. I always like you know the medium character shows up in every movie. Yes, if sometimes it has a twist. This one has a good twist presentation. And I like what they did with her. It took you a while to figure out that she was the medium and to understand why they presented her that way. It's a Christmas movie, just like Legend of Hell House. And yet (laughs) we don't know why, just like Legend of Hell House. But Christmas does play sort of a timekeeping device in this movie in an interesting way. It was a good script. I mean, there's no arguing with the fact that like the way that it, doles out the story and suppresses and releases information is very deftly handled. So I can't argue with that. Just a few dialogue notes here and there. Rich, I'm I'm just going to invite you at your leisure to check out the movie Python with Casper Van Dien and Robert England. Uh, I think that will give you the answer to the question of whether Casper Van Dien is really that bad or if it was the script. I don't know that I need to seek further evidence, Vic. No, 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 no. Check out Python. Trust me. <laughs> if you if you're if you're not yet tired of watching Casper Van Dien get killed in movies, uh, I've got a list. Our, so. our, our giant monster movie that might pop up, maybe I don't know. <laughs> it, if, it will not. I promise you. It will. Python will never make an appearance on this podcast as long as I breathe air. Other it than just, right now. <laughs> You made it. It will, never make, it will never make another appearance on this podcast. <laughs> well, I, I would love to have the experience of reading the script because I would love to see how it how it plays on the page. But my instinct is that it would impress the hell out of me when I think about the crucial first act of this movie and sort of the layering of incident and how we follow one character after another. And the consequences of their little stories are increasingly dire and sort of the sense of death and disappearance and bleak 
mysteries that are going to be very difficult to resolve for the people who are left. I just think it's all extremely effective and, and yet subtle. You know, like this movie definitely on the page as well as on the screen does not go for cheap thrills or easy answers. It's, it's a subtle movie. And so I give it a B plus. I I definitely think there are some issues and I think you guys hit on most of them that I would point out, but I think that I'm impressed by the construction of this story overall. And we'll leave it at that for now. So it's a B plus. Okay, uh, I'll kick off acting. Uh, you know, like I feel like you guys, uh, uh, you're, you know, you're gonna make a fool out of me on this one. But I'm sticking with my original grade. I'm giving it a B plus. Casper didn't blow me away. I wasn't gonna give him any Oscars, but I really like the the female performers in this in this film. I think they're very naturalistic. Uh, our lead has a lot of fucking charisma. I would follow her anywhere. She's a really nice, edgy, flawed, but sympathetic and relatable character. And I obviously some of that is script, but she loves booty shorts. She'll go anywhere in booty shorts. Oh man, yeah. dude. And she drives that motor. She rides that motorcycle. Come on now. By the way, in, in, incidentally, my dad had a um, Honda motorcycle that I believe was within five model years of the one that she uh, rides. And so one of my, my favorite childhood memories is riding on the back of that motorcycle, you know, arms wrapped around my dad's stomach uh, as we cruised around rural Iowa in the 80s. So that motorcycle definitely scores points with me. But yeah, I didn't, you know, Casper is sticky, but I didn't think he was, you know, glaringly bad. I'm sorry, guys. I'm giving it a B plus for acting. So go ahead. Vic, why don't you take it away from there? I will. I actually, I gave it a B for acting. I agree with most of that. Everybody's solid. Even again, I actually I give Casper Van Dien a lot of shit because it's just fun to give Casper Van Dien a lot of shit. But he's fine. He, you know, it's it's he he does his sort of gruff police officer thing, and it's fine. The performance that I actually want to call out that I cannot speak to further is Mark Steger, and we'll just. I have to have to hope that we have a chance to discuss that oh, later because yeah. I think that's one of the the great interesting right up there with Doug Jones or Andy Serkis in terms of a a just a bizarre physical performance. Hey guys, the fuck's wrong with you? Like he's fine. I wouldn't go handing him out any Oscars. He's terrible in this movie. He looks ridiculous. He. His visage is like the it's like a cereal box cartoon version of a police officer. He has like a painted five o'clock shadow. Everything is said with half dropped eyelids and swarmy faux charm. He brings down the entire movie every time he shows up. He just sucks the life out of it. Casper Van Dien is a national shame. That is too harsh, Rich. That is too harsh. That is that is just the way Casper Van Dien looks, okay? He can't grow more of a beard than that. 
Why am I defending him? What the hell is going on? Jesus. No, he's terrible, guys. She, I agree that the Christy, I'm sorry, I forgot her name, her last name. Lot, it, lots. It, yeah, it's not exactly saying? Marilyn Monroe, you know. It's not a stage name. Like, this was definitely the name she got born with. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, I thought she carried the movie quite well. I liked the medium girl up to a point. I think that at a certain point she kind of became, uh, I think it's Sally from uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. But I thought that she she did her best with with that with that character, and I really enjoyed it. Everyone else was great. Casper just like really shit on this thing for me. Sorry. Wow. I mean, like, have you seen Wolf Cop? Let's just leave it there. <laughs> you, you, you want shitty acting by a cop? <laughs> okay. What was the actual grade that you gave it? B minus. Okay. So we're all in the B range. So, Judge's Choice, and of course, this is the category where you can pick anything positive or negative and uh, give it a, well, you don't actually have to give it a grade, you just talk about it. So, Rich, what's your other's choice, other other category choice? I went with Hair Foo. This is not a, I, I, don't, I don't think I'd count this as a spoiler. I will say that there is a point in the movie where someone is put in danger by the fact that their hair has been tied around a pole. And that is the impediment that they're facing while they're trying to fend for their life. I can't think of another movie where I've ever seen this before. And I found it even more impressive when I realized after the fact that that little detail also explained some of the visuals that you saw of other victims in the movie. Cool detail kind of represents the smart thinking that this movie is putting forward. Dude, you just brought something to my attention. All right, Vic, how about yours? I think I mentioned this when we did the selection show, but I want to point it out again just as a measure of how exceptional this film is. My wife, Emily, does not like horror films. It was my birthday. She had to watch this. And I don't know how long after we watched this it was that we moved into the house that we have, but... She made me, within two or three days of moving in, she made me get on a ladder and go into the crawl space and just check for things and make sure that everything was cool up there. So I'm giving this a checking my attic foo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what better endorsement for a horror movie is it changes your real life behavior. That's exactly (laughs) I'm going to throw out Steadicam Foo because those dreamlike drifting glides through the house, which are often associated with a dream sequence in the movie, they set the tone and they stick with me. And like, that's where you really showcase the production design, the art direction, the, the home itself that we've been talking about. That's the best showcase for that element in the, in the movie. It's not background, it's foreground. And that, to me, it just puts you somehow psychologically in the right frame of mind for where the story is going to go next. And uh, it, it, it's powerful. So that, that's a credit to many different people on this film. You know, directing, art director, cinematographer, camera operator. Like, it's just everything is clicking. So that's what I'm calling it. 
Agreed. All right, John, I just before we move on, I just want to take a second to call out, and I made a note about this, the wallpaper. Yes. In the wallpaper, house. yes. Yeah, the wallpaper is great. There's something – when the fuck when, – what other movie can you see with the exception maybe of The Carpet and The Shining? Yeah. Like what other movie you see where you say The Wallpaper and everybody goes, yes, The Wallpaper. But yes, <laughs> The Wallpaper. If That's you showed thing. me 25 wallpapers and that was one of them, I would pick it out of the crowd. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to talk about the other movie. Um, this one is definitely – up against it, considering how much we liked uh, The Pact. But this is a very cool movie in its own right, and that's what makes this round so hard of the competition. We're talking about Our Point, also known as Ghosts of War, as it was retitled in 2012, I believe. And this is a South Korean wartime ghost story uh, set in during the Vietnam War in uh, 1972, and we're basically dealing with a, a platoon that is sent out after a radio transmission indicating that perhaps there might be survivors from a missing platoon that had been presumed dead, and these guys are told to go to this sector which is known as our point of, of the battlefield and bring back the, the missing. And obviously uh, they find that very difficult and things escalate quickly and they start to realize that this is a haunted zone and any, even people who appear to be alive might not be, and they cannot trust their own senses and perceptions and chaos and death quickly follows. It's a, it's a, it's a unique movie, man. Like it's, it's definitely pretty freaking cool, but it's got its work cut out for it. So let's, let's start with overall quality. Uh, Rich, what did you give our point slash ghosts of war? This was a real tough viewing for me. I championed this movie. I have a very fond memory of watching it when it came out. Maybe we can get to the bottom of it here, but this movie just did not do it for me. I didn't find it to be very much of a haunted house movie in retrospect, although I certainly remembered it as a haunted house movie. The house that they are holed up in features prominently, but... The scares just weren't quite there for me. I, I don't know. I, let's talk about it more. I gave this one a C plus. All right. Not not far off from my grade. Uh, Vic, what's your grade? Oh, boy. I really – I am going to die alone on this hill apparently. I gave this an overall quality of B plus. I really liked this movie even more watching it this time. I think I'm just struck – by a lot of the cultural stuff in it. And it's interesting because I know that that's come up before when we've talked about Terrified and Under the Shadow, some other foreign films. But what I was really struck by here was it, it, this ties into the whole history of Vietnam. Is not just the culture of Vietnam and how it's different from Americans, but what you're watching is a movie set in Vietnam about Koreans. 
encountering Americans, encountering Vietnamese, a history that involves the French occupation uh, and the, the Vietnamese wars with China even. And I'm just taken by all of that. And I, this is going to sound absolutely absurd, but I really fell in love with the banh mi sandwich, which is a, a Vietnamese sandwich oh that incorporates... Yes, that does sound absurd. I'm not done. Uh, and yes, it does sound absurd. The banh mi sandwich is a Vietnamese sandwich that incorporates French bread and a lot of French influence into the Vietnamese cooking. And that got me sort of interested in the history of Vietnam. I really recommend, and this is the only time you're going to get this recommendation on this podcast, Ken Burns' Vietnam uh, documentary series that he did for P PBS is is riveting. The history of this country is compelling and it incorporates so many things. It's just one of these lands that was conquered over and over and over again. And when you get to the Vietnam War, what you get is a, a, a country just exploding with their desire to not be occupied by anyone. And so to see all of that history wrapped up in this movie and all the different cultural influences and to have a story that I found frequently disturbing and chilling – and mysterious, although not outright scary, which we'll get to in you know mm -hmm. down the road. Uh, I still found to be really impressive that they managed to wrap up so much of the history and cultural significance into this story. Well, I want the listener. Like I feel like I'm a prosecutor at trial. I want the listener to note that uh, Vic just spoke for about three and a half minutes. And he talked about it being scary for about 15 seconds of, of that period. So, John, John, I don't care what you have to say. My vote's not changing. I am giving the Bon Me sandwich an A+. Plus. <laughs> it's crispy, light French bread, tender pork, jalapenos, pickled vegetables. What more could you want, John? Why are you such a curmudgeon? <laughs> The Reuben is the hill I will die on right now. All right. God damn it, John, you <laughs> son of a bitch. The Reuben? Yes. Ah, you have all the sophistication of a, of a, of a the wrestling fan. Jesus. You, Apologies to all the wrestling fans out there. There's nothing wrong with wrestling. <laughs> the sandwich pod will be right back. But if we're going to do a, a haunted house pod – I, I feel like we've lost the thread here a little bit, folks. So uh, thank you for the history lesson, Vic, and I, I do appreciate it. But as a Haunted House movie, I'm giving it a B. And yeah, it, it barely qualifies as a quote-unquote Haunted House movie. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, so I'm not going to beat it up for that. But I'll save my issues with the film because they will come up in the individual categories. But I think this is a good, not great movie, and I'll leave it at that for now. So originality, uh, I'll, I'll lead it off with an, an A just to kick the story off. Um, because I haven't seen a haunted house movie like this before, so it's an easy A. That's my criteria. And Rich, what's your originality grade for this film? I gave it a B. I mean, I think that there are definitely salient points to what Vic said. It's a very novel setup. It has a very novel backdrop. 
it is complicated. It has some other issues that I think drag it down. Complicated, was, complicated to a fault, I might say. But yeah, I was sure. I was actually surprised that this film was not remade as an American movie. I think that it, it just there's something about the logline of it of soldiers in Vietnam searching for a missing platoon, you know, happen upon a, a haunted. Well, I think they call it a castle, but it's basically like a house or a manor. Um, but Rich, that's just it. You don't have to buy the rights to do that. Like, there's no, there's nothing specific you would need to take. Like, the concept is is that amorphous and vague. If you wanted to I do mean, that, you wouldn't need to buy it. Be that as it be that as it may, John, name the other movie that's like this. Well, I mean, I'm not saying they took the cheese and like maybe it's a sad thing. I love military horror. I mean, I just want to say I wish there was a bunch of movies like this, but it's not like you needed to buy the copyright to this to explore this territory. Well, all I'm saying is that I feel like this has some originality to it. So B. I gave it an A, so fuck you. I guess that's all Rich has to say. Uh, Vic? I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I, I also gave it an A. Yeah. I think as as military horror goes, especially in this genre, I mean, because we talked about below, I think is the only other the only other thing that really qualifies for this. Yeah. This really stands out even from below. Again, I below, I, I sort of think about as the, an, an incident of the ghost of 45 minutes ago, which I think is sort of interesting that it's a lot of times haunted house movies are based on things that happened a long, long time ago below. I think it's sort of interesting because it involves events that happened a few days ago here. We're back into that deep history, but it's such a rich history that it really gives everything a very fr- uh, fresh flavor. And then combined with the military aspects and, even this, even the scares as constituted, it reminded me a lot of the Thin Red Line, like the way that soldiers moved through grass in that imagery and that idea that somebody saw that imagery and went, you know what that is? That's not beautiful. That's not a visual poem. That's fucking scary. I think that uh, I think that's a very impressive way to to view this. I give it an A. That's probably- I don't know. I I feel like you're projecting on this thing. Like thin red line, <laughs> it's, not, it's not operating at the Terrence Malick level. As a as a war film set in the Pacific, the imagery and the landscape that it draws on, I think there are there's definitely some overlap in those specific areas. Obviously, they're not the same type of film. Nor is this nor is this movie really about war, which I think the thin red line fundamentally is. Interesting. So you don't think this is fundamentally about war? No, hmm. this is not a this is not a this is not an anti-war film in the way that the Thin Red Line is, or Platoon, uh, or something like that. Yeah, I'd agree that it it does seem like it's it's very centered on war and the emotions it stirs up, but it's not it's not making a commentary on the nature of war. Well, that brings us to chill factor. Rich, what's your chill factor grade? C. Uh, uh, there's not many scares here from my perspective. Ouch. It feels very low budget to me. It feel it feels like 70s horror made in 2006. 
it just feels a little. I, I, it reminded me more of a Legend of Hellhouse than anything else in the in the group. Some some good ish set pieces, but no, 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 nothing really remarkable for me. All right, Vic, uh, fire away with your blazing guns, man. Let's hear a, re- a rebuttal. I mean, Chill Factor, I gave it a B. This is a movie that that operates really more on tone. There's a there's something very mysterious about it. There are some interesting reveals, and it really creates for me a sense of disorientation that reminded me a little bit of Oculus. Uh, John, when you were when you were describing the film, and you said it becomes a film where you can't really trust your eyes, and you don't know if someone's really alive or not and what the soldiers in the film go through really does become disorienting in that way. And I sort of shared that when I was watching it, it doesn't have a lot of the like jolting, you know, stand your hair up on end scares. There's a few of those, but I just found a lot of the imagery that they conjured out of this world to be unsettling, uh, but it not, on the level of something like the shining. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gave it a B. So, uh, we're roughly on the same page, but I, I think there's an eeriness and there's a creepiness that is very strong. And I think you mentioned Vic, the moment where uh, a guy thinks he's rejoining his own unit because they're, you know, guys in, in the proper uniforms and they're moving ahead of him and they won't talk to him. And they're moving in this amazingly disturbing, synchronized, slow, ghostly manner, one one step at a time. And it's it's beautiful. It's like a very poetic cinematic sequence that's quite quite chilling. And I think there are like when, once the shit goes off the hook late in this movie, it is definitely at a, a level of an intensity that is, is scary. So I, and you know, like even this movie gets the B for me because the, the small scares, the subtle things like a voice on the radio or, you know, a figure that might be one of your, uh, platoon mates, or it might be a dead soldier. Uh, the ambiguities there are, are very creepy, but then there's also a few like big shocks, you know, where you see something very disturbing. I, I'm almost on the, on the verge of giving it a better grade. You know, like I, I think this movie is, is, is delivers the goods from, from the spooky perspective um, it's just that it doesn't have like a signature. That moment was so badass that that's the only thing that kind of keeps it from rating higher, in my opinion. But that that this is one of the strengths of the movie. It it, it has a, a unique approach to the ghosts that is largely very successful. So I'll take it from here and and start us off on badass baddies and along the same lines. I mean, I'm going to give it a B. Uh, and all of these things are, are connected. Is there a lethality involved? Is there a disturbingness to the depiction of, of the ghosts? Yeah. Yeah. So 
I don't want to give anything away to people who haven't seen it, but we got some creepy ghosts. So <laughs> I'll leave it there. All right. <laughs> please come please come down to our store. We got some creepy ghosts. I swear to God. <laughs> we got some creepy ghosts, everybody. Come on in. Get some. We got plenty of creepy ghosts for everyone. All right. So Vic, uh, give us your badass baddies score. I also gave it a B. I think there is there's a lack of definition, and I think especially yeah. just juxtaposing this against a lot of the other films that we're talking about today, where we have and very clear antagonists with very clear sort of human wants. They want revenge for something that happened to them, and that's why their ghost is haunting this world. And this is much different. I mean, this this almost feels more reminiscent of The Shining in the way that. This place is just kind of evil, and it does some very evil things to these people. That really resonated with me. It doesn't have, John, I think sort of like what you were saying, that oh shit moment. It doesn't have that crystallized, like that, that great visual personification. It doesn't have that moment of the twins in the hallway that you have an image of something that's haunting you when you leave this movie. But it, with, with that exception as an antagonist, I, I find it very effective. Rich, what do you think? I, I feel like I'm being hard, like too hard on this movie. I gave antagonists a C. I think kind of speaking to what you were saying, Vic, the note I made is that the movie can't seem to decide who the antagonist is. And maybe part of that is because the antagonist is the space itself. In the last act of the movie, they really try to pin the the antagonism on a single presence, that, and that really didn't work for me. I do think that the corpses of the the enemy soldiers are are cool. I like the way that they look. I like the. I felt like they brought a level of reality to the horror here that I was missing up until that point in the movie when they start to find the, you know, the, the bodies of the, of the soldiers that preceded them. Those were, were disturbing in a, in a more visceral, they remind me of like John Carpenter. They live uh, alien skeleton creatures in a cool way. But ultimately I just, I don't really know who the bad guy in this story is. And so it's hard to, place a strong label on a badass baddie in this scenario. I don't, Rich, you you wouldn't compare this to something like The Shining, where there's not it's, they talk about the, the Indian burial grounds and the raids in the place and the other sort of tragedies that have taken place there but there's not, there's not a, a quantified Vic antagonist. Had, I would love it if the real menace of this home was the home itself, but it's not. The home is a backdrop. The radio, you know, the, there's a radio that's that's upstairs that seems to be broadcasting the the voices of the of the previous occupants of the home who have who have since died under horrible circumstances. That maybe you could argue is a sort of antagonist in the way that you're talking about, Vic. But the house itself is not much of a character in it, and for a haunted house movie. That really leaves something to be desired for me. Well, it's not – I don't think it's the – again, I don't think it's the house so much as it is the place, like the, like the area. 
in the way, remember, the, I mean, even when the American soldiers show up, they actually say nobody, nobody gets out of our point alive. The history that we get of there is, yes, there's this house. The French were massacred there. There was a lake where the Vietnamese were massacred by the Chinese, and they were their bodies were thrown into the lake. The lake was filled in, and then they built a temple over top of it. That all felt to me like the history of the Overlook Hotel. But the difference is that the hotel literally feels alive over the course of the film. And this house, and I would say that the area, while I agree that the locations that they chose are very cool, I love the ruins that they go and visit, but it never felt it never felt living and breathing. It still felt like they were being haunted by ghosts that you were waiting to show up. And when they showed up, they were they were good. They were they were serviceable, but not ultimately remarkable and yeah i agree that it does have i love the history and the backstory i think that all that stuff is very is very interesting i just don't think that it made for a great antagonist this really is a good segue though into quality of kills because i think those this movie the evil lives in in how people die you know it's not necessarily what you see it's what happens to people and what they do to each other when they may be possessed or something. So I actually, you know, again, grading on a curve based on all of these haunted house movies, I give this a quality of kills of an A because lots of people die and it's pretty unpleasant and visceral and convincing and realistic and painful. And you, you, you there's a large body count and they, they take some, they take each death seriously. Uh, so I'm giving it an A for quality of kills. Vic, how about you? I give it a B plus. I agree. And the, especially amongst the genre, this is really strong. And there's a particularly there's a scene where a guy gets a gallon of blood dumped on him from a, a, a body that's above him that is really disturbing. And and some of the even like the the more grounded war related deaths felt like they were handled in a way that was really shocking. And, and again, yeah, like you said, when we talk about quality of kills, we're talking about what are the stakes like? And this movie never waffles on the fact that the stakes are life and death. I think that's a very, a very valid point. I gave I gave a lower grade to the quality of kills. I gave a C plus for that. Oh. I found I found them to be a little schlocky, but I did appreciate that there was a lot of blood. Yes, there are stakes and they are treated well, but they they read to me more like subpar war movie than exceptional horror film. That said, you're I, John. You make a good point. The grading on a curve. For a haunted house movie, this is actually this is maybe the highest body count of yeah. any of the films we've seen. So there's something to be said there, and uh, so I, I'll tell you what I'll bump mine up to a B minus. But a lot of them were people were being shot and and died that way, and that you know so that that made it basically a war movie. I didn't feel like there was anything that was necessarily novel to this genre that I saw here. But you guys all make good points. You're goddamn right we do. <laughs> We're professionals. That's right. <laughs> so, Rich, what's your directing grade? 
I give it a B. I do think it's it is well directed. I did have a little bit of a hard time following the storyline as it evolved towards the end, but I'm going to partially blame myself for that. The locations are cool. It was clearly a very low budget movie. I kept noting that every time a helicopter came up, you could hear the helicopter, but you couldn't see it. (laughs) I thought the weird ghost predator cam effect was, was a little lame. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the locations were cool. I thought that all the dialogue scenes felt uh, relatively real to me. I did have some character issues, but I don't think that the that, that was the, the directing's fault. It did feel like a, a platoon, and it felt like a platoon of very scared men, which is exactly how I'd imagine you'd feel in their scenario. So that all you know worked for me. So B for directing. Well, you're touching on something that annoys me about the movie, and I'll just, like, cut across three categories in one wide swath right now, is that I really disliked watching these guys flip the fuck out over and over and over. Like, these are the most emotional, paranoid, flighty... I mean, like, they just, they're constantly losing their shit, screaming at each other. And, uh, you know, I found it really melodramatic. And so, I mean, this, uh, this is directing, this is script, this is acting. I got just sick of watching these guys sort of, you know, (laughs) grabbing each other, losing their fucking shit. Um, I just, it, it didn't work for me. So that, that cuts into the directing grade. It's a B for me, but I do like the overall tone and mood and atmosphere that this guy, uh, creates. And I think there's some really good looking shots and say what you want about the ending of this movie, the way that he realizes it with the camera is fucking awesome. Like, I really like the way act three plays out visually speaking. So I'll give it a B, but I have serious reservations about a lot of the stuff leading up to that. Vic, what's your what's your thought on it? I gave the directing a B plus for essentially the same reasons. I, I really like the mood, the tone. I agree that the night vision camera didn't really work, although I see what they were going for. I feel like he wanted an effect there, and I'm not sure that was the right effect, although it had the... It had the weird association for me with the Predator. Like, that was what it felt like. I was cutting away to something like that. But it also gave you... You could see he was going for a sense of, how do I create this idea that these people are being watched and create some tension through that without giving away too much or, or, or just constantly cutting to a figure in the shadows watching them or something like that. So and that's one of those ones where I appreciate the theory, even if the execution didn't 100% work. But overall, I think the directing is very strong. It doesn't appear that the director's done much since then. I, I only see one film on his filmography. so Kind of like the director bad. of The Pact, yeah. which is, I mean, say what you want about these movies. I, I'm very surprised that both of these guys are not you know, having prolific careers right now. I think that's, that's fair. I do want to point out for, I know that I just kind of lump all like production value into directing, but 
in contrast to the pact, I thought that the music in this film was truly awful. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Okay, so I gave the the directing a B plus. I think that the the tone and a lot of the execution is really solid. Like we talked about in the chill factor, I think this is this movie doesn't quite go for the kill in terms of the the, the scare factor, but it's it's I think it's very well directed. I think it uses a lot of interesting locations and uses them very interestingly. I think there's some very creepy imagery. And I think a lot of it works. I think it's I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's an exceptionally well-directed film. And in fact, after having revisited it, I'm going to make a point of uh, searching out some of this guy's other movies. He did one movie after this called The Guard Post. Uh, the director's name is Kong Su Chang. Uh, that I am actually going to make a concerted effort to seek out because I will be really curious. It's another military horror, and oh, wow. I'm really curious to see what that looks like. Damn, man. I didn't even know that. But yeah, yeah. This, this guy definitely has a firm grasp of military horror. And the movie looks great. And yeah, I think he's he's a talented guy. There's no doubt about that. Now, let's talk about the script. I'm giving it a B. I think that there's a intricacy to the way that this mystery unfolds. And you start to realize the sort of layers of things going on here. And, you know, you kind of get into the the backstory of the place and what has gone on. And many of the characters have fairly intricate backstories, whether you find them compelling or not. They're there in the ensemble cast. So I'm not going to say that it totally blew me away, but I do respect the complexity of the script. So I'm giving it a B. Rich, what's your grade for script? I gave it just under a B minus. I agree with everything you said. This the dialogue is is intermittently works well. There is a lot of scenes where the dialogue points out what you just heard or saw. Yes. As though you need to be reminded of the scary thing that you just you just saw, which strikes me as subpar dialogue. The ending, there's a scene that remarkably that strikes me as sort of an anemic version of the thing where they're all standing in a circle and they're trying to like identify like who may or may not be a ghost, you know, but it, it not because I felt like it was actually a rip off of the thing, but because it was a, a scene where the goal of the characters was the same as the infamous Petri dish scene of the thing, but it lacked the, the tension or the uh, intricacy to steal your word that that did. And uh, I will end on a on a good note, though. I really liked the scene that was an extended dialogue scene between three guys out in the middle of a, a grass field somewhere, and only at the end do you realize that the three guys are actually sitting there shitting in a field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a like, good scene. I thought that was clever writing. Mm-hmm. It is a good scene. There's a lot of shitting, though. Like, there's another scene where guys, like – storms off and he's like where are you going he's like i'm going to take a shit and i was like geez like i guess that's i guess that's realism because this is a place where there's no bathrooms and like yeah you that really is kind of a big deal in your life is i got to figure out when and where i'm going to do that because it's not something i can take for granted 
I guess that's true. And, and you know, on par with Demon in Friday the 13th Part 5 getting killed in the porta potty So, you know, shitting, wow. shitting is, a, is, a, is a part of horror movies that, that I suppose we have to acknowledge this now has a part in. Damn, Vic. Way to, like, tap into our greatest hits of this podcast. You're damn right, guys. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's always the Friday the 13th. Uh, podcast on uh, episode five. What was that one called? The New Beginning. Yeah, that was. I was. John and I were. T- uh, John was talking about some of the uh, "It's so bad, it's good" episodes and how sometimes the those movies make for the best podcasts. That is definitely an example. That movie is terrible, and I love doing the podcast on it. So but, much fun. So I gave the script a B minus. Really, I mean, I, I think we're all sort of in agreement on this. I wonder if one of the things that, that I struggled with both times watching this was keeping the characters straight. And I wonder mm-hmm. how much of that has to do with just my, you know, Anglo-Saxon Americanism that the, the names might be more easily differentiated if I was just more familiar with it culturally and some of that kind of stuff. I did – one of the things that, that did pop into my head – and I wondered if you guys noticed this or, or if this popped into your head as well, is that it seemed to me there's a there's a dichotomy between Lieutenant Choi and Sergeant – I believe it's Sergeant Jin mm-hmm. that reminded me of the Elias Barnes dichotomy in Platoon. Specifically, there's a scene early on when they're, they're sort of under fire – and Lieutenant Choi grabs uh, somebody, tosses him a grenade launcher, and he just, you know, takes off all of his stuff and runs through the forest and flanks the the, the whoever it is the, the people that are shooting him, and you know saves everybody. And that reminded me very much of what Willem Dafoe was doing in in uh, a particular scene in Platoon, and, and it winds up again. You get to this dichotomy that ultimately comes to this this very violent conclusion. And there's a division among the ranks, among the people who are supporting Lieutenant Choi and the people who are supporting Lieutenant Jin. And that, I just, that felt like almost a conscious influence on this movie. Did you guys pick up on that at all? No, oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's always a conflict between what they call um, a non-commissioned officer, which is the sergeant, you know, which is kind of the... The grunt, you know, the guy who's he's achieved his rank uh, through the hard way. And then there's, you know, sort of the officers who are somewhat anointed and, you know, at least in our country, they may come in through ROTC or, you know, they're sort of they don't necessarily earn their status, which I think um, aliens, which is definitely a, a comment on the Vietnam War in a lot of ways taps into with the Lieutenant Gorman character where you may be smart or well-educated, but you don't have experience versus like Lieutenant Apone who, uh, Sergeant Apone who has, you know, actually been on all of these missions. And yeah, that I did, I did sense that in that conflict. However, I mean, I think that the Lieutenant in this case is a, you know, the movie is certainly telling us he's fucking cool and he's a badass. you know, like it's not like we should be doubting him, or his bona fides, right? Well, yes, yes, and no, because I think the the knock on him is that his his soldiers keep getting killed. Yeah, and that that really drives his character arc, where he's his whole thing is 
we're going to get back alive. We're going to get back alive. We're going to get back alive, which doesn't really go well without, <laughs> without spoiling things too much. Yeah, it's but a I horror thought, movie. <laughs> yeah, but that but that feels very different. Again, that, that, that part of it does makes him feel vulnerable and, 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 and sort of like a fleshed out character. So it's not, again, it's not a bad script, but I do feel like it gets it gets a little tangled up and a little bit in the same way that Oculus did. I know John, you didn't, you didn't agree with me that I felt like at the end there were, there were all these threads crisscrossing and characters that were disjointed and I couldn't tell where people were and, and you know, how people were getting separated and that sort of thing. I feel like there's a little bit of that here that things get a little too disjointed and, and I had a hard time pulling all the threads Together, I wonder if that's something that would resolve itself, like the distinguishing the the characters in subsequent viewings. We won't know unless we're going to have to watch this again, which uh, I think is is very much up in the air right now. Not for me, it isn't. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think the, the question of characters and indistinguishable characters is a is a real problem with this movie and I think part of it has to do with the acting which I'm giving a C. I am usually uh very polite with foreign language films with acting because again I don't understand all of the subtleties but I found the acting extremely broad and I think the directing should and script should take a part of the the blame here but this movie is a lot of people just losing their fucking minds and yelling at each other and panicking. And to me, it's, it, it feels really sort of over the top and absurd. And I, I, I was, I was deadened ultimately by the effect of yet another guy grabbing someone and, you know, in a shrill voice shrieking about how fucking confused and scared and upset he is. I just think that this movie played the same cards over and over and over and yeah, I mean, we do have like a cast of you know sixteen or eighteen guys in this movie, and they do kind of blend ultimately because so many of their the note that they're giving us is I'm freaking out, and they have different reasons, but it just it yeah. I started to get tired of it, and it wasn't pushing the buttons that it thought it was pushing with me, so. I have to give it a C. This is probably my lowest acting grade of the entire season. Go ahead. Yeah, I went with a C minus. I I feel basically exactly the same way you do. I, in general, find this is true of of war movies in a very broad sense, partially because you know the their characters are frequently wearing similar clothing. They're you know, obscured and they have face paint and helmets on. And so there's a lot of reasons that make them hard to distinguish. But I felt like this one was exceptionally hard to distinguish. And really the only character I can even pinpoint, I take it back, there are two. I can pinpoint the, Vic, you just said his name, but the, the sort of the cool guy, Sergeant. Lieutenant Troy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he had like a distinct character that read, and I remembered that one of the characters was a mortician, but after the scene where they explained that he was a mortician, I could not even point out to you which guy that they were just talking about. So I remember that character detail, but none of it, just none of it stuck. None of the personalities popped uh, with the exception of Choi. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, that guy has true star power, I want to say. Like, you know that that guy is the lead of the movie when you look at him. He's fucking cool. But beyond that, a lot of these guys are... I mean, they're 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 designed to be supporting players, but they're they're too one note in my opinion. I gave it a B. I'm sorry, I just went down a rabbit hole because I a lot of what you guys were talking about reminded me of especially John C. McGinley's performance in Platoon. I know I, I, my my brain is sort of geared that way. You're such like a there Copelson was... dude, man. You're so fucking Copelson to the end. Um, be that as it be that as it may, John, and I, I think we all have a complicated relationship with Copelson. But no, so I so my initial, uh, you know, so I there was there was John C. McGinley. Uh, I remember having a lot of those, those moments, especially sort of towards the end of like, I got a bad feeling about this man. I don't think I don't want to do this. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And I was like, and there was one other guy who was like determined that he his something was wrong with him and he couldn't go on the mission. I was trying to figure out who it was just because I wanted to reference it. And I literally just this second discovered that Corey Glover, the lead singer of Living Color, was in Platoon and may have been the guy that I'm thinking of. I'm not sure. But that just uh, that was where my my brain was spiraling when all this was uh, when when we were having this discussion. Save it for the Copelson podcast. I will. I will do no such thing. (laughs) Everyone here should know that Corey Glover, lead singer of Living Color, was in the film Platoon. It's a fascinating piece of trivia. That's, you're only you're yeah. only going to get that here, folks. That's really it's interesting okay. to the guys in their late 30s to early 40s. Yep. Gary, everyone bailed on this podcast after the Bon Me kerfuffle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Bon Me sandwich talk. Yeah, I yep. stand by it. You take whatever you take whatever whatever direction, whatever prompts you to explore the history of a, of a country or a nation or a region or a sandwich or a sandwich. <laughs> it's an excellent Anyways, sandwich. Okay. Well, I, thank I you. gave, I gave the, I gave the acting a B. I, I generally agree. I felt like a lot of it was solid. Again, I thought that, that Cam Wu song as Lieutenant Choi, I thought was actually very good. I thought he, he underplayed his part which really stood out because of how much a lot of the, the other performances yeah. were, were over the top and it was fine. It was not, it was, it, it neither added to nor particularly detracted from the movie. For me. I, I give him a B at, at worst. So yeah, but yeah. It's, it, there's a lot of other dudes in this movie. <laughs> okay. Vic, you're definitely um, a, a compelling apologist for the movie, but let's get to judge's choice here. And I'm going to say Radio Foo. Radio Foo. Because, yes, the Donkey 30 to Longhorned Beetle stuff is pretty fucking badass. It's it's chilling. I love the voice of the ghost thing, whatever it is. It's it's very distorted in a effectively unsettling, sticks-with-you kind of a way. And those conversations are perfectly calibrated and that's what hooked me into the movie from the beginning and i think it's it's sort of what stands the test of time hey john Uh, i mm -hmm. i have a question for you um how did you feel about the oozing quality of that radio the oozing quality oh yeah like the 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 blood pouring out of it essentially yeah it was like dripping it was either blood or some kind of black goo i'm not quite sure what it meant but like just as a horror technique, how did that strike you? Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. 
I also dug I it was another one of those things that yes I I did I found the production value of it to be a little low maybe it built a little student film but I agree with you that I found those segments creepy I think it was more I think the audio sold it more than anything else yeah it's all about the audio for sure I did want to, I know this is unrelated, but I did want to point out real quick. I did like the bit where they, where they found the tape recorder and they stopped to have a dance party because oh, there was no tape recorder. And then suddenly it turns into like the, the death recording of the previous team. Yes. I'm really glad you brought that up, Rich, because when I was watching it, I was thinking if we were actually going to do the uh, loving but thorough autopsy of this movie, like the fun we would have talking about their ridiculous dance moves you know like that is a classic scene but in an overview it doesn't stand out but it, it, it it's hilarious and awesome that that sequence so i'm glad that you highlighted it yeah it was good i it was not the judge's choice i, I picked out my judge's choice was i don't know i guess for, for lack of a better term let's call it m for midget I apologize because I know that that term is offensive to some people. I don't mean it in that sense. I mean it because that is the the term by which these soldiers all refer to each other constantly during the entire movie. It's either it's either dick jokes or calling each other midgets. I've never heard I've never heard this before. Is this a South Korean thing? <laughs> that is a question for another podcast, I think. Uh, Wait, any any listeners, if anybody knows the answer to that, feel free to hit us up. Find us on social media. We want to know. <laughs> How prevalent is the term midget in South Korea, especially during the Vietnam War? Okay. <laughs> I think I thought it was no, only two I'm characters. Sure Vic a, I'm sure Vic has a prolonged analogy to explore it. Yes. But Rich, it's a little bit like a bon me sandwich. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about kimchi for a while. There. Yeah. Like, let's well, there's a that. lot of – you should have kimchi on a banh mi, but that's yeah. – yeah. yeah. What's your cho- judge's choice, Vic? My judge's choice is I, – I am, I am obliquely referring to it as language foo because one of the things that I love in this movie is when the American soldiers show up and everyone starts to speak English – it really sort of highlights all the cross-cultural influences that get brought into the movie. But I also love the moment when the, the one of the soldiers is, is getting messages from the, the radio about French soldiers that he thinks are stationed nearby. And only when the guy says, hey, were they speaking French, does he go, uh, no. Oh, it was just some people fucking with you which is an almost exact recreation of a similar moment in Below when they're, they're trying to move the corpse of a German soldier through the submarine and they think it's one of the guys thinks it's whispering something to him and it freaks him out until one of the guys says, was he speaking in English or German? And he says, English. He goes, there you go. The guy didn't know English. So I just thought that was a, another interesting play in another war film, which is one of the places where you have people of different nationalities and ghosts of different nationalities sort of encountering each other and, and having to cross these language barriers. That's fair. Yeah. I also found it very disorienting. Not only when the American soldiers showed up to sp- and were started speaking English, but also that the, I can't remember which character it, it was, but, uh, 
But when one of the soldiers on the South Korean side just starts responding back to him in English, and it's a very disorienting moment of the movie. I just would also point out, I feel like if this is the South Korean interpretation of what Americans sound like, sort of the the bravado and the language that they used and that sort of stuff, I was I was sort of struck by it. It, it's it's a little faintly sort of tin on the ear, like it doesn't quite work, no. but it's really close for a, for a South Korean writer director writing language for American soldiers. He wasn't that far off. I love mm-hmm. that the the main American soldier keeps calling the other guy LT, and it really I don't know a lot of it a lot of it just worked. I, I, yeah, give, I, I give it an A for effort, but I actually thought that was you you, you use the word sort of tin ear. It didn't. It didn't ring true for me. It definitely was like, okay, I can tell these are people that don't actually know what Americans talk like. That that was my takeaway, unfortunately. Well, go fuck yourself, John. <laughs> you know, Vic. Go go shit in the reeds, John. Why don't you do that? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like the it's like the, the two indelible moments for me are the guys uh, creeping forward inch by inch that are revealed to be ghost soldiers. And the other scene that I will always remember, yeah, is, is the, the shitting scene. And those are, those are fantastic universal timeless moments. But I think that the, the American soldiers are not a strength of this movie. That's just kind of where I, you know, how I, how I read it. And I understand why they're not, but it it was kind of weird and artificial to me. Well, I don't remember any meaningful scenes of Annie taking a shit in the pack. I'm just saying. No, there was like a good 20 minutes where she's pinching off a loaf. You just need to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rise to the occasion, Vic, if you, if you throw it out there. Okay. So that is a great segue to voting on whether the pact or our point slash ghosts of war are going Wait, to advance. Wait, I object. That is, that is not a great segue, <laughs> and I'm sorry. Yeah, which dump do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> that, could be, that could be the new title of our podcast, guys. <laughs> which, which dump do you prefer? Which dump do you prefer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's let's uh, make this official and start with the man who nominated this film, Vic. Kick us off. Which is it? Ghost of War slash R Point or the Pact? Actually, you you nominated both of these films, so I did. And this yeah. is this is a little bit like choosing between my children. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with the older one. No, <laughs> <laughs> I will. I, as I expect, I know which way you guys are going to vote. I am going to lodge my vote for our point. I think this is an intelligent, <laughs> complex film that weaves in a lot of historical and cultural elements in a way that is significant for the genre. In a way that the that the pact does not. It's still the pact is also obviously an exceptional film. I will not weep uh if if as expected it it makes it through to the next round but i want it on paper at least on audio that our point is a a fine film well worth your time and rich sucks the sweat off of a goat's balls whoa no whoa 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 (laughs) okay rich you're gonna have to come back at him on that one man i mean no no holds barred it is true 
You do? <laughs> you love the sweat of goat balls. It's like, come on, don't judge him. I, you know, yeah. Vic just understands my heart. Like, you know, like there's nothing like a nice damp scrotum. Really, it's true. Okay. So, um, I'm, Rich, I'm going to let you break the tie. I'm going for the packs, so finish this off. Well, I will say, look, I stood I stood behind our point in the nomination. I had a slightly different experience. That's interesting because <clears throat> I had a different experience for both of these movies. I saw both of them a while ago. I had fairly strong reactions to them, and I came back with very different reactions on a second viewing. So this made for an interesting pairing. I will say that any day of the week, I would choose a banh mi over any other sandwich. It's a delicious, complex sandwich with a rich history. (laughs) And I'm choosing the pact. (laughs) Thank you, Rich. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I agree on the sandwich conversation, but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. So yeah, but check us out on the Bon Me Sandwich podcast. Yeah, yeah, like we're, we're going to be we're going to be pairing we're going to be pairing up the Bon Me and the Reuben to see which one comes out on top. Ooh, dude, that's a rough one, man. I don't know where I would vote. <laughs> All right, well, that's our show, and tune in next time for another pair of horror films going toe to toe. Adios.